You're listening to the Real Estate Entrepreneur Podcast with Terrence Murphy, where we cover sales, investing, and entrepreneurship with an emphasis on real estate. Each podcast, Terrence and his guests will bring you informative and inspiring information within the real estate industry. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. I start off with a quote, this one's short, and it's success means having the courage, the determination, and the will to become the person you believe you were meant to be. George Shaheen, or Shahan, sorry. So you got to have courage, you got to have determination, and you got to have will in this real estate entrepreneurial game. And we're going to be talking about that. We're bringing in some amazing guests to dive in what they've done, tell you their story, really try to inspire you. But y'all know I'm real big on this. We don't just want inspiration on the real estate entrepreneur. We want inspiration, but then we need the roadmap and then we need the tools to execute everything that we want to achieve in life. So my guest today is Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire's biggest passion is wealth building and investing. He's a limited partner in 12 syndications, ranging from multifamily to industrial, hospitality to self-storage. He has invested in multiple private companies in the biotech finance and AI spaces. In addition, he currently owns 20 residential units in various real estate partnerships and oversees the management of 130 residential units his family owns. Mark has also executed multiple 1031 exchanges. He's seen up markets and down markets and discovered opportunities in both. Welcome him to the show today. Thank you, man, for being on the show today, bro. Terrence, appreciate you having me, man. Super pumped. Yeah, man, this will be fun. We'll we'll get in and out, but we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get into this. I mean, we're gonna really try to give the audience that is growing rapidly these real estate entrepreneurs. And the reason I named it real estate entrepreneur is because I didn't want it to just be self-storage guys or multifamily syndicators or developers or builders or realtors or whatever the hell is going on in the real estate space. I wanted us to all come together as a community and talk about it, but none of that matters. What matters right now is your story. Tell me a little bit about who you are in a couple sentences and how you became a real estate entrepreneur. Yeah. In one sentence, I was just willing to do whatever it took. And you know, I just wasn't willing to compromise morals to do it. That's really the true entrepreneurial journey. And um, you know, started out in music and was playing in a band and played in a band professionally for seven years. Um, got a record contract, RCA Records. Uh, that was my first business. It was a bad business. It was not profitable. Don't recommend it. But um, went from there to real estate sales on my own and you know, realized I wanted to have more than just... Didn't want to be just about me. Wanted to really double down on my strengths and build a team around me. So started building a real estate team. And then um, you know, really got into investing along the way. I was always investing. You know, I wasn't just selling the product, but I was you know, buying and using the product too, which was residential real estate at the time. And um, you know, started to s- step it up from there, investing commercially, started to invest in you know, multifamily properties, and then started to invest in syndications when you know, I realized I didn't really truly feel like I had the confidence to go out on my own. And uh, syndications gave me the ability to A, keep my time and my bandwidth, but B, get access to knowledge and understand what you know, these heavy hitters, the, the real truly experienced people were looking for. So went from LP and uh, now I'm on the GP side where I'm the one finding the deals, taking them down and, and running them. Love it, bro. Man, there's a lot to unpack there. So one of the things I'm always trying to encourage our audience, that's the reason I'm rolling out the process of three roadmaps. I have the sales, investing, and entrepreneurship. You literally followed that exact model. You started in sales. Like you said, you were an individual agent, residential agent. Then you grew a team. And then you got into the investing. And now you're in entrepreneurship. Because in my mind, when you become a GP, you're an entrepreneur now. You're not just an investor anymore. So you've literally followed my model of sales, investing, and entrepreneurship. So I want to go back. You sold real estate residential real estate, you had a team, 
Tell me about that team. And then where is the team now? And how did you transition into an investor? So let's just talk about that progression first. Yeah. So I always invested along the way. I didn't, it wasn't one of those things where I'm like, well, when I have enough money, then I'll start to invest. I always, you know, made it very non negotiable that I was going to invest and I was going to carve out that income because, you know, they always say pay yourself first and 10% is not going to get it done. I mean, I would, my goal was 40%. If I could live on 60% of what I brought home and save 40%, and I try to save 40% of gross and any money that I brought in outside of that, uh, or any money that any of my investments kicked off, I just kept it in an account that I couldn't even see, didn't commingle it, so I couldn't touch it, didn't even know it was there, and waited till it got enough to do the next deal. So that was really, you know, my strategy, and I that I that I followed, and I still follow to this day. And so I guess I was selling real estate, you know, which I would actually argue that selling real estate is an entrepreneurial endeavor, depending upon the level at which you do it. You know, sure. if you're doing it kind of willy nilly part time, then I would say, yeah, you, you got a job, but. If you're really sending it and you're really pursuing it and you know working 70, 80 hours a week and, and pushing super hard, I mean, that's the entrepreneurial journey for me. Oh, for sure. For sure. We'll agree. Yeah. 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 And, yeah and I mean, in a sense that kind of that progression of sales, on, we're on the same page. But um, to me, I, t- I tell people all the time, the moment you get your real estate license, you are an entrepreneur. You're starting a small business. But then when you really scale it, is when you really walk into that entrepreneur. So when you scaled it from an individual agent to a team, what did that look like? And then where's your team today? So scaling from an individual agent to a team just looked like a lot of mistakes. I did everything wrong. I tried to hire an agent before I hired an assistant. Don't do that. I tried to uh, hire people who weren't good character fits. Don't do that. I hired people who weren't the right personality fits. Don't do that. And um, I, you know, I, I saw what I wanted to see in people instead of who they really were. And and that was like a personal. That was a personal a weakness that I have is that I see. You know who people can become if they just tweak a couple of things, and you know, and the good thing is that I've done that with some people, and it's worked, and and it's really been great. The team right now, uh, there's three agents and myself and and an admin, and then we have a virtual assistant as well. Love it, bro. So you still actually have a team selling real estate? So I do have a team that's selling. Yep. You know, at this point, I'm not selling at all. I'm kind of more in the numbers. Um, really spent a lot of times. What people don't understand is how long it takes to build a system and not just like a crude system, but a system that's scalable. And I think scale, people think that scalable is, you know, like really far out in the distance. But I went from having, um, you know, myself, one agent and an admin, and then trying to add, we added three agents at once. And I, everything was breaking. Every system I had was inadequate, could not accommodate that difference. So scale doesn't require, you know, doubling or tripling it. It's, I mean, in that sense, all of our systems, we added three people. So I guess in, th- in a sense, we double, but really from an agent count, we just had a bad sales intake process. Mm-hmm. So there was no process. Yeah. And it was all, you know, you could, you could compensate for it when it was just you and one other person because you could constantly communicate. But when you're trying to manage a lot more people and a lot more deals, it just doesn't work. Wow. Bro, I need to hire you to sell my new course because literally you're saying everything that I'm trying to tell agents. I'm actually real big on, I tell them before they even get there. I'm like, you're here now in volume because I've tracked, I've coached agents for 10 years now, but I just rolled out my courses and I'm explaining to them exactly what you said to the T. But see, the hard part with real estate agents, they don't even know that they don't know. They just think because they got 5,000 Instagram followers or whatever, and they're closing some deals, 
that they have a scalable business. But I'm like, you don't have a scalable business. I've studied scale and leverage and repeatable processes for a long time. And that's going to be important. That's why 75% of our agents are out of the business by year two in AR statistic. And then by the time you get to year five, only 13% of real estate agents in the United States may get to year five. Man, that's a, that's a pandemic hell if there ever was one. <laughs> so you hit it right on the head, which like you said, dude, I, I went from one agent to three or four and we started breaking systems. And I, and I try to explain that to people all the time. You need somebody who has those systems you know, they can show you. So that's really good wisdom, bro. That's really good wisdom. So now you said you've been investing, you're holding back 40% of your income gross, which I think is awesome. I try to shoot 50-50, which I think is a good number. Let's talk about multifamily. Then we're going to talk about to industrial hospitality and self-storage. Let's kind of break down those categories now, because now we're moving into the investing space. Or like you see, you already been in it, but now let's talk in that in the conversation. So when you're looking at a multifamily deal, what type of deals are you looking for? How did you get into the first couple of deals? And then we'll move to the next category. Yeah. So the deals, you know, when I when I went from, I, was, I bought a condo, this was 2013. So at real estate was on sale everywhere. And I, you know, hadn't been burned. So my credit wasn't, I, I didn't have a lot of credit because I was young. I was like 23 at the time, but got private finance on a condo. The deal was good. Cash flow. I mean, 1% rule was a thing back then. <laughs> Nowadays, like, bless you if you can find it. Right. The, uh, so I bought a condo. Man, I was working and I was going there on nights and weekends, man. I was chipping up the floor with a crowbar. God bless the woman living above me in that condo. She never called the cops. She totally should have. And so I, I you know, just put in the work and um, would go there every day after work. And that was like my life. Lived at home. You know, I saved as much as I could save. Never made a lot of money at that point. I was making like 30 grand. You know, I felt like a lot of money at 22. Then you get real bills. And went from there to bought another condo, bought it. And my, I was fortunate enough, my, my dad and mom um, let me use their line of credit because they had seen me do I actually basically GC'd a project for my parents and made them a, a lot of money. And I was happy to do it. I mean, the deal was good. I tried to buy this property, but the property, it just was in short sale, wouldn't let me buy it. So timing was right. I already had my property I was working on. So I was tied up. And I said to my dad, I said, Hey, we should, you're, you're going to make a lot of money on this thing. You should buy this. And he did it. I GC'd the whole project, took it from soup to nuts, rented it out, went better than we anticipated, way better. And so they, they saw what I did and they said, hey, we watched you do it and we'll let you use the line of credit, just pay us the interest. Mm. So I did that and um, ended up getting my second one. And in the middle of redoing my second one, the first tenant gave me notice to move out. So I, was, I had the interest, it was interest only at the time. And it was in the, in the midst of like coming down to the wire. I spent too much money on this property because I was fixing it up for me. And my then girlfriend's soon to be fiance was was living with me, and she would live in my parents' basement. She's like, "Yo, we got to get out of here." And uh, that was when the tenants gave me notice. So we ended up finishing that one and rented it out to somebody else. We put all of our finishes in there for us, rented it out, and then went started over on the first one. Mm. So that was a fascinating time. So then went from there, and then just went and found a four unit. Uh, like two years later. I didn't have the cash to take. Actually, I didn't have the confidence. I had the cash. I didn't have the confidence to take it down by myself and um, did it with a partner and still own that building. We ended up actually, that was the first building I ever did a total burr on. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and then I got frustrated because I could see how, how much we'd increased the NOI and the gross rents and our building wasn't worth anymore. And that was really when I went and said, I need to go bigger and I started learning commercial debt and understanding how it all worked and understood debt service coverage ratios and 
how to calculate that because that was the bank's gold standard for lending. If it hit 125 or 120, depending upon your loan amortization, they, they did the loan. And that was really what got me going. Yeah, that's good, bro. Yeah. So you threw out a couple of acronyms and things, which in our, you know, me and you, we could chop it up and talk shop all day. But I want to rewind just for our audience and make sure they're tracking this because we're going to keep going. We're going to speed up this conversation. So the Burr method, which we've heard it, we know what it is, but can you tell me what the Burr method is just real quick in 30 seconds? What is that? What does it stand for? And then what does it mean to execute the Burr method in real estate? Yeah. So buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. So basically it means you put your capital in the deal, you made your improvements, you lease it up at a new value, and then you went and you refinance based upon the value you created and got your money back out. Yep. Thank you. Yep. And then Debt to income ratios are big, you know, with banks and commercial lending. And like you said, uh, really f- trying to get the right LTVs. What is a debt to income ratio and why is 1.25 that g- kind of golden rule for commercial commercial acquisitions? Yeah. So so debt to income ratio, you know, I would say probably more residential. Uh, what I was saying was that the, the debt service coverage ratio, which yeah. that's just a ratio of dollars of income versus dollars of debt. So the bank wants to have at minimum, a dollar and twenty-five cents of income for every dollar of debt. Yep, there it is. Couldn't be explained any better. So you move over. You're buying now multi-unit buildings. You got into multifamily. What's kind of your expertise and area now? Is it self-storage? Is it hospitality? Is it industrial? What What would that be? Yeah. So I was investing on the LP side. You know, just writing checks and equity in all of those types of assets, trying to figure out where I wanted to play. I really liked I like doing deals, running deals, operating deals. In my heart of hearts, I'm an operator. I mean, I love getting a property just absolutely humming and you know making that thing kick off a ton of cash. I I, I enjoy that. That's it's fun for me. So my specialty now is self storage. That's what I do all day, every day. And um, you know, where I'm a partner in 420 some thousand net rentable square feet now, over 12 properties. That's awesome, bro. So why self-storage? And then, you know, because self-storage isn't a sexy conversation, right? Not not a lot of people are talking about it. I'm super sexy. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Man, everybody's talking multifamily and stuff right now. You know, I'm in self-storage, but we're kind of those fundamentalists when it comes to investing in real estate, right? But for the people who are considering self-storage, what are those triggers or, or points of like the five things you need to figure out for self storage in order to decide to invest in it, right? Yeah. So self storage. I mean, it's not it's not sexy to most people. And and I remember when someone first approached me about it, I was like, self storage. Like that's what I thought. That's like where you know it's just a haven for junk and rednecks. And then I realized that it's phenomenal in the way that it operates. It's more of an operating business and a piece of real estate where you're getting like a once a once a month lease payment. It's more of a it's constant micro tweaks, which really actually lends itself to my preference and personality and style. So for me, it's like it's just like it's every day is a game. How do you how do you squeeze more? And self storage has a really low operating expense ratio. So relative to your top line revenue, self storage has an expense ratio in the 30s, like low 30s. So I mean, relative to multifamily, you're gonna be 40, 45, 50, depending upon your utilities and what's built back. And you don't have a lot of BS when it comes to tenants and you know, leaks and and the evictions a lot easier. So it's actually falls under what's called lien law. And you basically get to sell people stuff and you get to 
get possession a lot quicker than if you had to go through a formal eviction process and go before a judge and file for possession and then actually get possession granted. So during COVID, there was no eviction moratoriums. We were moving people in, moving people out. Yep. And it's not sexy. It's just efficient. And it cash flows like a king. And as, is this where Storage Wars came from? The show? So Storage Wars did come from this. Yeah. <laughs> but the funny part is that Storage Wars was around long before self-storage was ever cool. Mm. Yeah. Self-storage is like the invoke thing. I mean, if you were to look at self-storage, I was reading a statistic on it the other day. During the 08-09 crash, the lowest default rate on all commercial asset classes was self-storage. It was like 0.03%. Wow. People needed a place to put their stuff. People need a place to put their stuff, but they also like self-storage doesn't allow for high leverage. These are people getting 40, 50, 60% leverage tops. So the leverage isn't high. So you need a lot of cash to play the game. But cap rates back then were like 10, 12% in self-storage. They're five and six now, but Dang. it's crazy. It was crazy. It was not a desirable commercial asset. It was like the redheaded stepchild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So give me those, give me those markers that you're looking for when you're underwriting a deal. Hey T, when I'm looking at self-storage deals, this is what I like to look for. This cap rate, this internal rate of return, this many unit ratios. Here's the size of the bays you know, control versus, you know, all that stuff, you, you, you know, so what are like those five or 10 metrics that you look at when you're looking at a deal that you can kind of eyeball pretty quick? Well, we want to know how can we create value with this asset? I mean, it's all about creating value. And sometimes creating value is just a matter of finding a property that's under rented and someone's tired of operating it and offering to pay them a fair price on current rents. And then you take the upside to get it there. So, you know, we want to understand, you know, what are the standard rates in the market? What, you know, should a 10 by 10 go for? 10 by 10 is a really good benchmark size to really kind of go off of. 10 by 10 generally is your one of your most popular units. 10 by 10, 5 by 10s, 10 by 15s. Those are your three most popular sizes. So we're going to look to see, you know, how's the 10 by 10 compared to the market? So there's a high level one. Like that's, I, I would call that the 1% rule of self storage. Where's your 10 by 10 at? Because usually if your 10 by 10 price isn't good, then everything else isn't good. Mm. From there, is there an average like number to, that my 10 by 10 should? At least for obviously different states, different locations. Yeah, it's so market dependent. Yeah. You know, where we're looking at now, we're looking for like buck fifty, buck sixty, yeah. um, where where our market is. You know, if it's not one fifty, one sixty, we see a ten by ten at one twenty, we're like licking our chops. Like, mm. let's go. Yeah. Cause if you're if you're ten by tens at one twenty and markets one fifty to one sixty, you know, you got you got thirty five, forty percent. Yeah. Something's off. <laughs> go get them. Yeah, for sure. No, so that's, that's uh that's a good one, like a good quick little benchmark. And then you know, we're looking at population and vehicle counts. We want to see, you know, what's the total population? What's the supply and demand? Is there more demand than there is supply? A really conservative factor to use for the supply is, or excuse me, for the demand is 5% of the total population. Mm-hmm. That's a really good number to use. If it works at 5%, they, they say the utilization rates, at, you know, between 10 and 12%. But if, you, if it gets to work at five, which is half of that, you know, it's going to work no matter what up markets, down markets, you'll be good to go. No. And if someone else comes in, you know, and drops 100,000 or 70,000 square feet in your market competing with you, you're not going to be sunk on your project. Yeah, that's good, bro. 5% of the total population and then 10 by 10 yeah. at about a buck 50 a foot. Yeah. And then we're looking for vehicle counts. You know, we really want to see, you know, 15,000 vehicles per day. If it's less than that, that's, you know, not the end of the world. But, you know, the more traffic, I mean, I was reading, there's a, there's a, re- a reference out there called the self-storage almanac comes out every year once a year it's like a, it's exp- it's wildly expensive for what it is but it's cool cuz a lot of good data and um the way that pe- they did a survey on how people found their self storage site and it was almost 30% of people found it by driving by mm. so car count still matters 
Car count, location, man. You can't beat it. And and car count is just like people could be driving to and from work. You don't have to be looking for self-storage. But when it's there in your face all the time and you finally do need it, it's taking up mindshare. Yeah. Love it, bro. Man, that's really good info, man. So I, I, I want to pivot. We got this section called Coming In Hot. All right. This is this is a, a competition. OK. And so it's like running a 40 yard dash or whatever. So we're going to ask you five questions. We're going to time you. So what's the best time? What is the best time? Was it 24, 24 seconds, 24.9 or something like that? And that's crazy good. Yeah, it is. You ready? All right. All right. Starting. So do you have a college degree or no college degree? No. What's your greatest challenge as a child? My mom. <laughs> what was your first attempt at entrepreneurship? Band. <laughs> what was the worst real estate advice you've ever received? Don't buy low cap rates. Who is the one person that made the biggest impact on your career? My grandfather. Oh, man. <laughs> 25, 24. You know, that's not fair. You were reading slow. <laughs> Bro, I was reading as fast as I can. <laughs> You want me to speed it up? I want to make sure you heard me, bro. Uh, what uh, I read like, the questions beforehand. Oh, you already had them? I, I didn't have them, to be honest with you. I remember thinking about them like, man, I don't know what to say about that. Oh, man. You, dude, you were right there, though, bro. You got the silver medal, man. Congrats. Dang. Man, if you ain't first, you're last, bro. Come I on know, now. man. I know. A couple more questions, man. I'm going to get Thanos. out of here. <laughs> Thanos, right? Infinity Stones. So a couple more thoughts. What's your secret to good time management? Obviously, you're, you're doing the podcast. You're raising capital on GP and LP. Real quick, I want to talk about that before we get into these questions. What's the difference, which obviously I, we know, but what's the difference between a GP deal or syndication and an LP syndication deal if you participate? LP means limited partner. So you're not signing on the hook for the debt. Uh, you're just writing a check in whatever the amount is. So twenty five, fifty thousand is normal. And you're only at risk for the capital that you contributed. Your only responsibility is to write the check. You have no active role on a day-to-day basis in the project. On the GP side, you are the one who's finding the deal, sourcing debt, taking down the project, running the project, executing the business plan, which could con- include construction, and you're signing on the debt. And so if the thing goes belly up, you know the bank's coming to you to get the money back. Yep. Love it. Love it. So what's your secret to good time management? I know you're, you're, you got a lot on your plate. What are you doing? Is there any hacks that you use for good time management? Do not disturb on your <laughs> cell phone. <laughs> yeah, that's been I, a really good new tool, bro. Yeah. I mean, I used to do, I used to door knock when I was in residential real estate. I just turned my phone on airplane mode because it didn't have do not disturb back then, dating myself. But um, I used to door knock, you know, two to three hours a day. I'd knock on 100, 120 doors to get 30 contacts. That was the whole game all day, every day. Where's your team at now? What brokerage are you at? Keller Williams. Okay. That's yep. where that's where I started like 13, 14 years ago. So this is called our moonshot. This is like your, you know, people think it's impossible, but you think it's possible and it's something that you want to do one day. What is that moonshot for you? Uh for for me, it's it's the portfolio exit. And my big thing that I want to do is I want to go charter a yacht in the Mediterranean for like a week with my family and all my like favorite people and fly everybody in and be like, hey, it's on me. This is fun. Like, enjoy. Man. So you got me on the list, right, though? You, you, I mean, I can. I can add you. You got Thanos on there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget about me, bro. Uh, All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, yeah. So like you said, an exit, though, one day being probably acquired by a Blackstone type mm-hmm. equity firm, buying your whole portfolio. Yep. Love it, bro. I literally just said that today to my team. Wow. That's it, man. Like rolling it up, like the, the REIT strategies 
buy. I mean, their cost of capital is so low. Their whole thing is buy, and they have such a longer term uh, return horizon because they don't need any more cash to here and now today. Mm-hmm. Most, if you, I mean, I guess if you're participating in like Blackstone, like B shares, kind of like Burke B versus you know Burke A, you know, you don't need money. Like, you're, like cash flow is not going to make or break you how you live your life. You're not going to live a better or worse lifestyle because of that. So for them, it's a, it's all wealth game mm-hmm. and wealth is accumulation versus trying to go and flip and get catch these pops of equity or or you know whether it's flipping houses or flipping storage facilities. You know when you have a certain level of wealth, flipping isn't helpful because you pay taxes and you're paying a crap ton of taxes. You just want you know. Passive real estate that just gets you know you, you you use the depreciation to offset the revenue so as to minimize your tax burden. Love it, bro. Wow, I literally just was talking to my financial team about this exact thought process, and we were talking about a cash transit. You know, obviously, when you buy multifamily, there's a there's a three to five year hold, there's a cash type transaction, whether it's a refinance or a sell or something. Like I was telling them, I want to hold, so let's get everybody hold. And then keep the asset because, like you said, wealth is accumulation. That's something that I always talk about. Yeah. So you want to look into the JV model instead of the syndication model. The JVs will allow you to to actually refinance out where the people who are helping to fund it. I mean, that's something that we've been talking a lot about with Hearthfires, not just syndicating, doing that JV. Yep. That's literally what I do. I do JVs and I don't syndicate. So, wow, man, we need to we need to catch up offline and talk about that for sure. We have all our guests that come on The Real Estate Entrepreneur bring a book that they've either read that's made an impact in their life. This book you're going to talk about is a book that I love. So why did you suggest Rocket Fuel uh, by Gino Wickman? Man, I recommended that book, I think, more than any other book ever. It just really put into words a lot of things that I saw and felt but couldn't articulate and um, kind of explained a lot of tendencies that when they were put down on a piece of paper in front of me and I read them, I was like, yeah, that all checks out. I, I get that. I understand why I'm frustrated with X, Y, and Z and why <laughs> this is easy and other people are terrified of it. And so, and it also, I think it, the book is about, you know, having a, kind of a two person top tier team. And, and you really need two types of skill sets. And you, it's very, very rare that people possess both skill sets. Mm-hmm. And one is they call it the visionary and the integrator. Visionary is more big picture in the clouds, big relationships, idea, trends, patterns. And then the integrator is more the person who's figuring out how you take these crazy ideas and you pick the cherry pick the best ones and then execute on the way in which you you do them and you turn it into something that then becomes a viable business and then manage the people to it. So visionaries tend to be uh, not so good with people management. They tend to be impatient. Uh, they tend to be inconsistent and kind of all over the place. And you have, have attention spans the size of a goldfish. And then you have people who are integrators who are more kind of in the trenches, you know, on, on, on the front lines, you know, managing the team of people and figuring out the tactics to actually execute on the, the direction that the visionary would set. And, and, and you're a good business. Like the, the argument is that the best businesses have both of those people in their core. For sure, bro. Yeah, I read, um, I think it was on my 10 year anniversary, I read uh, Traction in Mexico. I think we were in Cabo or somewhere, Port of Arte. I don't remember, but I read it and I was like, I told my wife, I said, this book's going to change my life. And then read Rocket Fuel. We hired a um, an EOS uh, implementer, implementer, yeah, and then and dude, it's 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 how I've been able to scale a lot of my businesses, bro. So thank you for that. So final thoughts: Where can the audience find you, and what's your final thought for our real estate entrepreneur 
uh, tribe that's listening. So you can find me at investingwithmarkmark.com and, you know, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, backslash investingwithmark. Uh, final thoughts for people is um, really spend the time to get to understand your skill sets, understand who you are and where the lift feels like for you. I think so many people just kind of drift through life, kind of doing you know job to job to job, and they don't really take the time to study themselves and understand what makes them tick. And when you can get in tune with that, you'll find yourself, you'll attract the position that will honor your skill sets and you'll truly light up. Wow. That's good, bro. Well, thank you again for being on the show, man. It's been a great episode and would love to stay in touch, man. Let's just connect offline. And thank you again for your time and the wisdom and just those nuggets with the self-storage and uh, look forward to, to staying in touch, bro. Thank you again. Sounds good, T. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of The Real Estate Entrepreneur with Terrence Murphy. Please subscribe on whichever platform you are listening and consider leaving a five-star review as that will help us gain traction and continue to bring you knowledge in the real estate industry. For more content, head over to TerrenceMurphy.com. 